let's begin with question 85 where we left off last week and then uh, look at 86 and 87 as well. <clears throat> question 85. What doth God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us for sin? To escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requireth of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. What is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth, with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Amen. And if you will... Please stand now for the reading of God's word. We're going to look at a number of passages this evening, but our primary passage uh, will be from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And so we will read that one alone as we proceed forward to the sermon. So please turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is God's holy word. It is without error and is our only rule for life and faith. Please give it your most attention. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thus far, God's holy word. You may be seated. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. And we pray that as we hear your your word and your gospel proclaimed, that you will bring us to or keep us in both faith and repentance. For Lord, we know that these are the instruments by which we are united to Christ and receive all of his benefits. May we go on to good works that we might reflect your glory here on earth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In my hand, I'm not sure if you can see it or not, but there is a coin. It's a quarter. 25 cents. Actually needed a quarter for this illustration and realized at the beginning of the service that I had forgot to bring one. And so you probably saw me during the first song go down and and borrow one from my mom. Good luck getting that back. And not just for my mom, but I want all of you to know that next week for my illustration, I'll, I'll be needing to borrow something again, but next time it will be a $100 bill. So please, please make sure you have that available. But people often resort to flipping a coin when they cannot come to a resolution on an issue. They flip the coin, and it's either heads or tails. They flip the coin, and they leave the outcome in God's hands, whether they No, that's what they're doing or not. If it's heads, you get one result. And if it's tails, you get another. But although there are two possible results, they're only flipping one coin. There's one coin with two sides. One side heads, the other side tails. Though there are Two distinct sides to the coin, both heads and tails, they cannot be separated. The heads is not tails, and the tails is not heads. Yet they are bound together on this one coin. So it is with the subject matter of our two catechism questions this evening. One question deals with faith in Jesus Christ and the other with repentance unto life. These two subjects, faith and repentance, are distinct from one another. Faith is not repentance and repentance is not faith, but they are bound together. Both of them together make up what we call conversion. If one desires true conversion, then faith and repentance cannot be separated. And that is why we are going to address them together this evening. We will look at them distinctly, but they will be preached together. 
because they cannot be separated. The previous catechism question and answers dealt with the fact that no one, save Christ, can perfectly keep God's commandments. We all break God's laws. And so the catechism tells us that we all deserve God's wrath and curse. And then question 85 asks, What doth God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse? And the answer given is, To escape the wrath and curse of God, due to us for sin, God requireth of us faith in Jesus Christ, and repentance unto life. Faith and repentance. These are the requirements that must be met to escape God's wrath and curse. But the framers of the Westminster Shorter Catechism did not want to leave us ignorant of what faith and repentance are. So in questions 86 and 87, they defined them for us. We will begin, as the Catechism does, with faith in Jesus Christ. And our primary passage this evening, as we read just a moment ago, is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And Ephesians chapter 2 picks up where we left off last week, recognizing that we are all trespassers of God's law and sinners. And as a result, we all deserve God's wrath. Verses 1 through 3 read, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is the state that every man finds himself in at birth. Dead. We are born dead. Spiritually dead, that is, on account of our sinful nature. And because we are born with a sinful nature, we all carry out the passions of our flesh and the desires of the body and mind trespassing against God's laws. And so spiritually speaking, we are dead in our trespasses and sins and subject to the wrath of the true and living God. We have offended a thrice holy God who must punish sin if he is to be just. Therefore, everyone who is dead in their trespasses and sin finds themselves by nature to be objects of God's wrath. Now, the catechism answer to question 86 tells us that faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace. In other words, faith in Jesus Christ is not a work that we must accomplish. It is something that is graciously given to us by God. And it must be given 
to us, for a dead man is unable to do any work at all. I once heard someone making this point and they asked, what does a dead man need more than anything else? And someone blurted out, a coffin. Well, it's true that dead men do need coffins, but what a dead man needs more than anything else is life. And so Paul tells us in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Here is the saving grace that the catechism answer was referring to. And Paul makes it even more explicit down in verses 8 and 9. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, beloved, from your birth, actually from your conception, you inherited a sin nature. And because of this sin nature, you sin. In other words, you are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. It is your nature. So then by nature, you are dead in your sins and an object of God's wrath. However... Scripture gives us a but, but God. You may have been dead and deserving of God's wrath, but God gave you life. Raising you from your spiritual deadness and then giving to you the gift of faith through grace. You were dead and unable to believe. And then he gave you life, enabling you to believe. So then by God's grace, you were given new life. And this is what we call regeneration, which is an act of God alone. For dead men cannot bring themselves back to life. To be raised from spiritual death to life is a supernatural act that can only be accomplished by God alone. Regeneration, then, is the work of one. Which is where we get the theological term, monergism or monergism. Mono meaning one and ergon meaning work. The work of one, namely God. The Bible does not teach and therefore we do not believe in synergism, which teaches that both God and the individual work together in order to bring about regeneration. It is God's work alone and by it, man is enabled to and will inevitably come to faith in Jesus Christ. Oftentimes in School, certain classes are prerequisites for other classes. In other words, you must take the prerequisite class before you can take others. 
Regeneration is the prerequisite for faith. And as we will see later, repentance as well. Regeneration is the work of God which results in the enabled human response of faith. Man must be given new life for him to be able to believe. And God alone regenerates man's heart. So then, faith is a gift from God. Which results after he brings us regeneration after he gives us new life. But we must recognize that it is man who exercises the faith. And so what is faith? How do we define faith? Well, faith can be explained in three parts. John Murray lists these parts as knowledge, conviction, and trust. Really, Murray's just following along with what the reformers noted from Scripture in, their, in the way that they defined faith. It is defined in the parts of knowledge, conviction, and trust. We begin with knowledge because one cannot have faith upon that which it does not know. It is true that faith is distinct from knowledge, but faith cannot exist without knowledge. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, Faith is of hearing and hearing the word of Christ. For one to have faith, there must be knowledge then of the word of Christ. By which Paul is referring to who Christ is and what he has accomplished. Namely, salvation for sinners. In other words, it is to know Christ and how he is offered to us in the gospel. This is the knowledge that one must possess. But second, there is conviction. It is one thing to have knowledge. It is another thing to believe it to be true. Conviction is not only knowing that Christ has accomplished salvation, but is the conviction that Christ's work is precisely what is needed to remedy our sinful condition. To move us from objects of God's wrath to objects of his mercy and grace. We must be convinced not only that Christ has accomplished salvation, but that this salvation is what we need to fix our poor, sinful condition. Paul displays this type of conviction in 1 Timothy 1.15 when he says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. We must possess knowledge and conviction. But third and last, there is trust. It is one thing to have knowledge of Christ and his saving work and to be convinced that Christ and his work is what you need to be saved. It is still another thing to actually place your trust 
in him. To make a self-commitment to him. John Murray says, faith cannot stop short of self-commitment to Christ. A transference of reliance upon ourselves and all human resources to reliance upon Christ alone for salvation. Faith is not only believing, it is, as Scripture says, a believing in or a believing on Christ. And this requires placing your trust in or on him. To go on to trust is to do what the catechism answer suggests when it speaks of receiving and resting upon Christ alone for salvation. It is the very reason why Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. To place our trust in Christ is to find rest in him, because it is by his work that we are saved and not by our own. Knowledge, conviction, and trust. When we possess these three, we have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And this faith is an instrument that unites us to Christ and to all of his saving benefits. One of the best things that Murray says about faith, all of which has come from the book of Redemption Accomplished and Applied. If you've never read that book, I, I believe every Christian should read that book. But one of the best thing that Murray says about faith in that book is this. It is not faith that saves, but faith in Jesus Christ. Strictly speaking, it is not even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. Faith, he tells us, unites us to Christ in the bonds of abiding attachment and entrustment. And it is this union which ensures that the saving power, grace, and virtue of the Savior become operative in the believer. This is simply another way of saying what the previous catechism answer said. And I paraphrase that faith in Jesus Christ and repentance unto life is how Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. Now, typically, we speak of faith as a uniting instrument that bonds us to Christ. When we think of the instrumentation that unites us to our Savior, we typically think of faith. But that catechism question also suggests that repentance unto life is an instrument whereby Christ communicates the benefits of salvation to us. So what about repentance? How does it relate to faith? And how do we define it? Well, remember where we started this sermon. Faith 
and repentance are two sides of the same coin. They are certainly distinct, but they can never be separated. Faith and repentance occur simultaneously in the person. Faith does not come first, but neither does repentance. Faith is turning to Christ as you rest upon him alone for salvation. And repentance is turning from your sins that have condemned you. You cannot turn from your sins unto a false savior. Neither can you turn to Christ without turning from your sins. Again, I defer to Murray. He says, the faith that is unto salvation is a penitent faith. And the repentance that is unto life is a believing repentance. Faith is only genuine if it is accompanied by repentance. And we see this lived out in the lives of the believers in Thessalonica. In Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, he writes in chapter 1, verse 8, Your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. And what was the evidence of this? Well, in verse 9 he says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you, that you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Their sinfulness was acknowledged in their idolatry and their faith was shown to be genuine in their turning from idolatry. That is in their repentance from their idolatry, from their sins. Faith and repentance always occur together. They are two distinct aspects to your conversion, but they cannot be separated. Repentance, like faith, is also a saving grace. If you must be regenerated by God to come to faith, then you must also be regenerated to repent. The Spirit of God gives you new life, enabling you to believe and to repent. In this way, repentance is a gift from God as well. If in faith we believe in Christ for salvation from our sins, then repentance is the hatred of our sin and the longing to be saved from it. The chapter on repentance in the Westminster Confession says, By repentance, a sinner, out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God, and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ, to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sins as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in the ways of his commandments. 
Repentance, like faith, is not a work that merits our salvation. It is ours by grace alone. However, like faith, it is necessary for our salvation. Alongside of faith, it unites us to Christ. But even though it is not a work that we rest in for salvation from our sins, it does result in good works. If sin is disobedience to God's commands, repenting from your sins is to pledge to walk in obedience to God's commands. Both faith and repentance result in good works. And what does this mean? But that faith and repentance is not a one time walk down the aisle experience. It is something that is to be continued throughout our lives. It does result in good works. And that is why our passage in Ephesians chapter 2 ends by saying, For by grace you have been saved through faith. We could put in there repentance. Through through faith and repentance. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. For what? Good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The problem with modern American evangelicalism oftentimes is that many claim to believe, but they do not demonstrate the fruits of a changed life. I might even say that that's not just the problem with modern American evangelicalism, but with the church in every age and in every place. Many claim to believe but do not demonstrate the fruits of a changed life. Obedience to God and His commands oftentimes do not mark the life of those who profess to believe. But Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. A good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree bad fruit. Anything short of penitent faith is not faith at all. Beloved, if you want true conversion, you must take faith and repentance together. Therefore, when you examine yourselves as Scripture asks us to do, you should not only ask if you believe, But if your belief is penitent, are you endeavoring to walk with Christ in all the ways of his commandments? If so, then you possess the coin of true conversion. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we Thank you 
that you have given us life, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul speaks of of the repentance, even in that passage of the Ephesian church, and in fact, all of all true believers, because he notes how they once walked in their former ways, but because you have given us life, we are able to believe. We are able to turn from those sins and turn to Christ. We are able to come to faith and repentance. We pray, Lord, that we will never fail to recognize that this is a gift from you, a saving grace from you. And may we be thankful each morning that we awake all the way through the day until we lay our heads down to sleep of the wonderful gift that you have given to us in Christ Jesus and in applying his benefits to us. We thank you for working within us faith and repentance. May we always live this way that we might bring you glory here on earth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.